Okay, we're picking up our uh, series on the uh, seven letters to the churches of Asia Minor. And uh, this week we're on the fourth one, which is Thyatira. And uh, it's found in uh, Revelation chapter 2, beginning with verse 18. Revelation 2, 18. I'm just going to read the scripture first. To the angel of Messiah's community in Thyatira write, Thus says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and feet like polished bronze. I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your last deeds are greater than the first But this I have against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and yet she is teaching and deceiving my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her immorality. Behold, I will throw her into a sick bed, and those who commit adultery with her into a great tribulation, unless they repent of her doings. I will also strike her children with a deadly disease. Then all of Messiah's communities will know that I am the one who searches minds and hearts, and I will give to each of you according to your deeds. But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold to this teaching and have not learned the so-called deep things of Satan, I place on you no other burden. Only hold firm to what you have until I come. To the one who overcomes and guards my deeds until the end, I will give him authority over the nations. And he shall rule them with an iron rod, as when clay pots are broken into pieces. Even as I have received from my Father, so I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to Messiah's communities. And so we have here... uh, uh, the the letter that that John writes, but remember Jesus is the author. the The revelation be, belongs to Jesus. He is revealing something to us and to them. and And so each of the letters, or most of the letters, begin with a with an identification with the the one who uh, addressed them in the first chapter of Revelation. So we have this picture of Christ there. And the identification here is with all seen eyes, the eyes of judgment or discernment. And he has feet that have walked among the sins of men, and they're refined by the fire of God. This is one who sees all, knows all, and can discern good and evil. And because of all this, he will not tolerate evil. Will not tolerate evil. Um, the accolades, the, the attaboys for, for this church are for faithful service, which has increased with the years. And these deeds are emanating from a heart filled with love and faith, and their service is genuine. However, this aspect of genuine service and and diligent work uh, has a has another side to it and that other side is the uh, the tendency to become an enabler uh, what is an enabler an enabler enabler yeah we look the other way and and sometimes uh, we we even make excuses for them. Well, they've had a hard life, or well, you know, this this or that or something else. And and so when when people are busy doing and working, uh, sometimes they they kind of give uh, a blind eye to some of the things that are going wrong. And, and remember, Jesus is the one who sees all and knows all, and, and, and these things are important to him. And, and so enter Jezebel, 
Here's Jezebel. Now, uh, Jezebel is a, is a name of a queen uh, from 1 Kings uh, chapter 16, verse 31. Let's turn there. 1 Kings 16, 31. We need to know who he's talking about. Or, and he's not, of course, he's not talking about this Jezebel because she lived a long, 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 long time before. But he's talking about someone who acts like her. 1 Kings 16.31 Begin reading with verse 30. But Ahab, son of Omri, did what was evil in the Lord's eyes, more than all who were before him. Now, as if it was a trifling thing to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the sons of Nebat, he also took as wife Jezebel, the daughter of King Ethbaal of the Sidonians. And he went and he served Baal and worshipped him. And he also erected an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he had built in Samaria. And also Ahab made the Asherah pole. So Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel than all the kings of Israel who were before him. So Ahab married into this Sidonian family and he, he took Jezebel as his wife and she immediately took his heart away. And, and uh, the, the, serving the Baals and, and also the Asherah pole. The Asherah pole was basically a phallic symbol. Uh, it was a place where uh, male cult prostitutes had sex with uh, the Israelite women in order for them to have children. Uh, it was a nasty, nasty, nasty situation. And yet, for years, Israel looked the other way. And they tolerated this kind of sin. And, and, and we think, oh, how could we do that? How, how could people do that? And yet here in, in the, the first century, uh, a, a church in Thyatira uh, is tolerating someone who is in the spirit and, and the behavior of Jezebel. Um, she, uh, I, we don't know who she was. We don't know, even know that she was in the church, but she was certainly in the community, and she certainly had a lot of um, uh, influence. And, and she was directly opposed to what the apostles had decided in Acts chapter 15 at the, the Council of Jerusalem when they told the, uh, the Gentile Christians, saying, this is, this is what you need to do, because there were there were people, Jewish people, who said they, all these people needed to be circumcised and they needed to keep the law of Moses. In other words, they needed to become Jews. And the apostles got together and by the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, they said, look, here's what we require. We simply require for you not to eat blood and, and not to eat food sacrificed to idols and not to engage in sexual immorality and to remember the poor. And if you'll do that, this is good enough. But you see, Jezebel was in direct opposition to at least two of these, maybe three. And so it's, it's, a, it's a bad situation. Um, so let's talk about this, this thing called tolerance. We hear a lot about it, don't we? A lot about tolerance nowadays. What is the basis of tolerance? What's wrong, dear? Is that better? I know. I <laughs> um, what is the basis of tolerance? Yeah, that's what it is. That's what it is. But what is under it? What, what is, uh, well, yeah, I, I think you're right. <laughs> uh, well, 
Ah, that's right. We, 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 we just want to avoid confrontation. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. We, we really don't want to get into a contest with anybody. We want to live and let live. We want to just be cool and pretend like it doesn't matter. But according to the Scripture, it does matter. It does matter. Um, is tolerance biblical? Tolerance is, I'll put up with you, you know? I don't, I don't like you, but I'll put up with you, you know? I'll stay out of your way. I'll, I'll, I'll make sure. That's, that's tolerance. But is that biblical? What does Jesus call us to do with people? Love one another. Yeah. New commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I've loved you, that you also love one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Agape. This, 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 this love that says, I care about you too much to simply tolerate you. I love you. And if I love you, now, there's a relationship there. There's a connection. And, and so if we simply tolerate someone, that means that we really don't love them enough to try to have a relationship and help them and, and, and help them to grow if we see that they're doing something that they're not supposed to do. It's risky. It's risky. So... How did the church get to the point where they were tolerating Jezebel? Let me tell you what. I don't think that Jezebel walked into that church in her miniskirt and, 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 and marched right down and hung up her shingle and started her business down in the Sunday school room. I know, that sounds pretty crass, but that's exactly what it's talking about here. She was having sex and causing other people to feel that it was okay to have sex with each other inside the, the, the confines of the, of, the, of the church relationship. That's exactly what was happening. I don't think that just happened like this. I think it took a while. I think that things kind of snuck up on them. So, let's talk about how tolerance sneaks up on us. How tolerance sneaks up on us. I've looked at three things I think of. Uh, The first thing is poor theology. Poor theology. I I think that tolerance sneaks up on us when, when we have a, a, a theology about grace that is, that is wrong. There's, there's something that's, that's happening in our, in our nation, in our world, even in our community today called hyper-grace. Now, hyper-grace is, uh, well, th- the best way I, I saw it explained was uh, uh, an article in Christianity Today that I read. And it talked about a guy that buys a car from a dealership, and the dealership said, we're going to give you free car washes for the life of the car. All right. So he buys the car, gets his first car wash. Everything's all shiny. He's out driving around, and, and pretty soon it blows up a storm, and he gets on a muddy road, and... Man, his car's a mess. So he decides, ah, I'm going to take advantage of the free car wash. I'm going to go back and get my car washed. But when he shows up, they said, no, no, you've already had a car wash. But this is supposed to be for the life of a car. That's right. And your car wash that you had will last for the life of the car. (laughs) This is your car wash. It's good for all the dirt that you've ever got on it, 
the dirt that you got on it now and the dirt that you're going to get on it. Your car wash, your car's clean. As I look at it, looks good to me. Now, we laugh at that, and it's just absolutely absurd. But that's what the hyper-grace movement is saying. They're saying that once Jesus forgave your sins, he forgave your sins past, present, and future, and you don't have to worry about it anymore. You can do anything you want to. You can go any place you want to. You can behave in any way you want to because the, the grace of Jesus covers all of that. What do you think about that? <laughs> Doesn't sound good to me, does it? Uh-uh. No. You, you see, this, it's, it's just obvious to us that, um, that this is, is not the teaching of Jesus This is not the teaching of Paul or John or James or Jude. As a matter of fact, none of the writers of the New Testament and the Old Testament would ever agree that uh, that this is true. Now, the, the car wash, the free car wash, the chit that you get, that's how it is. When Jesus forgives your sin, he gives you a free car wash whenever you need it. And if you get involved and get dirty, the Bible says we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is a propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for those of the whole world. And the Scripture says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So grace is always there. We just have to recognize that we got dirty, and we need washed, and we need cleansed. And, and in this passage uh, regarding Jezebel, uh, Jesus said, I gave her time to repent. That's, that's what repentance is. We stop, we ask forgiveness, and we start going the other direction. Repentance, it's turnaround time. U-turns are permitted. And, and, and so, poor theology would allow us to tolerate sin, to redefine sin, to say, I, 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 I'm, I, I've been a Christian long enough, I don't sin anymore. Well, guess what? I haven't been. <laughs> And, and anybody who says that, they've got to redefine sin. That's all. You just have to redefine sin. And we've seen that on a national level, and we've seen it on lots of levels. Say, well, this really isn't sin. I, I really didn't do anything wrong. You know, as Bill Clinton said, I did not have sex with that young lady. We can't redefine sin. And when we do, it leads us to tolerance. Second thing. Uh, any input? Thoughts? <laughs> sure. Well, and Paul deals with it. And he said, uh, should, I, should I sin more that grace may abound? And the answer is, no. <laughs> no. Oh, that was... That, Oh, it does. Yes. Yeah. And so whenever we come across some of these uh, uh, new 
ideas, uh, they're usually not new. It's just people haven't read the scriptures, but they've, 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 they've bounced around in a certain area, and, and they think, and, and then they pick and choose. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm sorry? Oh, just jump in there and, and, and go for it, and we'll, we'll sort it out. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, we're we're, we're going to get to solving the problem in, in a minute, but, but basically, uh, you know, these things are not easy. It's, it's not easy. And, and one of the things that we have to understand is, 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 is God's love. And, and, and what God's love is all about. Um, confrontation's hard. And it's risky because we never know how it's going to end up. Uh, and like I love to say, the right thing to do is always the right thing to do. Uh, and, and yet, uh, when, when we love somebody and, and, and we begin to really pray about it and seek the Lord... And, and ask him to prepare the way and ask him to, uh, to, to prepare us and to help us know the right things to say and the right things to do, uh, then we can embrace that conflict and it will lead to the blessing of God. We'll talk about it more, but does that, does that make sense? A little bit? Let's talk about values. If we look at love from the point of view of values, um, we've got to define love the way, by the values of the Lord, kingdom values, and not the values of the world. The values of the, of the Lord are the values that Pastor Joe's been preaching about on Sunday morning, talking about the Beatitudes. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. These kind of values. But worldly values are the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Worldly values. Uh, and so when we define love based on worldly values, uh, we find that uh, the the worldly kind of love is, I'll love you if you love me. Uh, and, and, and what I'm looking for in love is uh, uh, feeling good. Uh, you make me feel good. I like to be around you. You make me feel good. And, and if you do something that doesn't make me feel good, oh my, I guess I don't love you anymore because uh, things have changed. Uh, but, but godly love isn't that way. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, never fails. But what does that, what does that mean? Does, does that mean that no matter what a person does, uh, if I love them, I'm going to look the other way and let them continue. Even if they're disobeying God's, God's laws, God's values. Is that love? No. Uh, no. That's tolerance. And... And think about this. If God says no, if God says no, and we know that he loves everyone perfectly, if God says no, and I look the other way, and, and, and by my actions I say, yes, it's okay. Does that make me better than God? Does that make me more loving than God? No, obviously not. So, so if, 
if, if I'm looking the other way while someone I love is misbehaving and, and systematically going farther and farther away from God and going down the tubes, um, and, 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 I'm, and I'm feeling good about myself because I'm saying, well, I love them and I, I don't want to. Wrong value system, see? Yeah, God loves according to his values. I was talking to someone the other day that, that told me that, that they were loyal to a fault. Okay. So if the person you're loyal to begins to uh, misbehave and begins to lie and begins to uh, hurt themselves and others... then is your loyalty still loyalty? Or is it just plain old being dumb? Because you see, the basis of loyalty has got to be truth and justice and righteousness. And if someone is truthful and just and righteous, then uh, I'm going to be loyal to a fault. (laughs) I'm going to be there for them, you know? Uh, but if they're unjust and, and unloving and unrighteous, then, then my loyalty takes on a, a, a different face. I still love them, and, and I'm really still loyal to them, but I love them too much to let them continue that way. Now is time for me to not to tolerate them. Make sense? Our value system really dictates uh, a lot about whether we love or whether we tolerate. The third thing I looked at was simply fear. We're just scared. We're scared of the outcome. Scared of what's going to happen. Because, you know, when, when you uh, refuse to tolerate bad behavior, you really don't know what's going to happen next. I, I remember <laughs> when one of our daughters was, was ready to rule the roost, and I was buffaloed. And finally, I looked at Karen, and I said, that's it. I don't care what she does. And Karen says, oh, no. It ain't going to happen in our family. We're running this family, not her. Ain't going to happen. And, and my little wife stood up and said, that's it. And then I bucked up too. <laughs> and uh, sure enough, we didn't tolerate bad behavior. Uh, and uh, now in the midst of it, I picked up a recliner, a big recliner, and threw it across the room because I didn't throw her. And she threatened to call the military police, and I said, there's the phone. Uh, because at that point, it didn't matter. At that point, I was determined we were going we were determined we were going to love her, and we were not going to tolerate her behavior, and she was not going to run things. And guess what? She's a great, wonderful Christian lady today and loves the Lord and, and, and because we didn't allow her to behave that way. We loved her. We didn't tolerate her. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. You remember the last time we talked, uh, when we were dealing with Smyrna, we talked about how 1 John is, is uh, connected to the book of Revelation because it was written by the same person, it was written at the same time frame, and it was written to the same group of people. So uh, I think once again we have some very interesting material here in 1 John chapter 4, uh, regarding uh, this subject. John says, Loved ones, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. You know the Holy Spirit, or the, the, the Spirit of God, by this. Every spirit that acknowledges that Messiah Jesus has come in human flesh is from God. 
But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and now is already in the world. You are from God, children, and you have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world, so they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Loved ones, let us love one another. For love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And the love of God was revealed among us by this, that God sent his one and only Son into the world so that we might live through him. This is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atonement for our sins. God is love. Jesus is God. And I propose to you that if you want to know what love is all about, if you want to be able to define love, then simply look at Jesus and, and, and see how Jesus behaved and what he did and what he said. And, and how he, he, he looked at the, the scribes and the Pharisees and he called them pretenders, hypocrites. He said, you're like whitewashed tombs. You're, you're, you're clean on the outside and you're full of dead men's bones. Uh, does that sound like it's tolerant? I don't think so. Does it sound like it's loving? Yeah. Because he didn't want them to go to hell. He knew what they were doing. He knew that they were making up all kinds of things in order to keep their power. And he knew that because they were making up all of these little nitpicky rules to, to rule over people, that they were opposing God and that they were on their way out. And he loved them. And he was in their face. And he told them so. Now, the scriptures tell us that uh, that we are not to judge. Is that right? And how many of you have had that thrown in your face? You know? Yeah. Oh, man, you're just judging them. Don't you judge. No, the Bible says not to judge. Let's go there. Matthew chapter 7. In verse 1, he says, Stop judging so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Pretty specific. Don't condemn. Don't condemn. Okay? Now let's go to 715. Where it says... This same chapter now. Watch out for false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruit. Grapes aren't gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles, are they? Even so, every good tree produces good fruit, but the rotten tree produces bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a rotten tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. So then you will recognize them by their fruit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name? And then I would declare to them, I never knew you. Get away from me, you workers of lawlessness. How do we reconcile the two? Don't judge. But, oh, by the way, beware of false prophets 
the antichrists, the, the, the bad fruit, how do we reconcile them? What are we supposed to do? Is there anything we're supposed to do? Or should we just look the other way? This, this church at Thyatira decided they'd just look the other way. Because here's, here's Jezebel claiming to be a prophetess. Bad tree, bad fruit. But here are people that are saying, well, I don't want to judge anybody. How do we reconcile them? And in the third and the fourth and the fifth verses of Matthew 7, he, he tells us what we've got to do first in order for us to be able to, with love, actually confront them and do that. You're exactly right, Karen. So let's look there. Verse 3. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the beam in your own eye? Or how will you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and look, the beam's in your own eye. Hypocrite? First take the beam out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, or throw your pearls before pigs. Otherwise they will trample them under their feet, and turn, and rip you to shreds. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it shall be opened. Now that last verse I read is taken out of context all the time. And people say, oh, all you got to do is ask, man, and seek and knock, and and he's got to do it because he said he would. Uh Uh-uh. The context is this thing about relationship and about love and about fruit inspection, about values, about not throwing our pearls before swine. Because like I've said lots of times, if you've got a, a wild boar that's after you and you've got a, a, a string of pearls in this hand and a Big Mac in this hand, you better be throwing the Big Mac. Because he values the Big Mac. He'll stop and eat it. He don't value those pearls. Okay? We've got to value the values of the Lord. We've got to be willing to do the right thing according to his word. And the first step in that is to get the beam out of our own eye. To get rid of our own sin. How come, we, how come it's a beam in our eye and a speck in their eye? You ever think about that? It's proximity. Put your finger in front of your eye. It's a beam, isn't it? You can't see a thing. It's not very big, but it's big. In, in for you and it causes you not to be able to see clearly he said get rid of it get rid of your own sin ask seek knock get your relationship right with God and when your relationship is right with God then you can refuse to do the worldly thing of tolerate And you can do the godly thing of love. You can do the right thing. You can inspect fruit and you can see clearly. And I think that's the the crux of, of, of your question, Shirley. The whole idea of being able to see clearly. And, and we've got to see clearly based on this book and the values. And so that we can see where things are going. And, and, and if we see where things are going, it begins to eat at us. And it begins to say, wait a minute, I, I love this person too much to see them behave that way because I can see where it's going. I've, I've watched it happen to others. I've, 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 I've watched it happen to me. And, and by God's grace... I was able to, to turn to the Lord and, and have, have His grace affect me and change me. And I want it to change them too. And so I've got to first go to the Lord and say, Lord, 
I need my heart to be right. Pastor Joe preached this week. How many of you have been washing your hands and cleansing your heart? Huh? Yeah? Me too, man. I wash my hands and I say, okay, Lord, I want you to wash my heart too. I want you to cleanse my heart. I need him to wash me and to cleanse me in order for me to get in focus, for me to see the right way and to do the right thing. And to do the right thing in the right order (laughs) at the right time. Now, understand with me, that still doesn't guarantee the right outcome. Because you see, God is out of control. I know that 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 shakes you up, and 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 I want you to, to be shook up just a little bit about that, and then I'm going to explain it. Uh, I did that to Jim Peters on a Sunday morning one time from the pulpit, and Jim goes, <laughs> "When God gave you free will, when He said." You can choose if you're going to serve me or not. He gave up his control. said, now, your will, you have control over your life. You can either serve the Lord or choose not to. He looked at Cain, and he said, Cain, sin lies at the door. You need to master it. You can do it, boy. And, and so God has relinquished part of his control for a time and given it to us over our own lives. And he's also given that control over to, uh, in, a, in a lot of ways, to the lives of others. Because we need to choose if we're going to love them or tolerate them. And if we love them, And if we love them enough to get our own right, own lives right, and get the beam out of our eye, and so we can see clearly to to love them as the Lord loves them, and to direct them as the Lord directs them, then, then, we're doing the right thing. I know I'm walking on toes, but I'm walking on my own toes too. Because <laughs> you know, it's it when when we when we open the Word, it's not always comfortable to 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 face our situation. But you know, it's never too late. It's never too late for us to say, "Wait a minute, uh, Lord, now I need some help." I have family, I have friends, I have co-workers, I have people that, that I'm around all the time, and, and I want to love them. I don't just want to tolerate them. But I need your help. I need your help. I first need your help to get rid of my own sin and to see clearly and I need your help in order to, to love them and to do the right thing and to intervene in their lives. Not easy. And I guarantee you, uh, and I have several experiences along this line, uh, it doesn't always end like you'd like it to end. Uh, but you know what? doesn't always end like God wants it to end either. People say, if God is love, how come there are wars? Well, it's because he's allowed free will. And people choose the wrong thing. And they choose to go the wrong direction. And he loves us enough to allow us to choose. So what? What, what can we learn from the passage? Um, one of the things we can learn from, from this passage 
is that bad news, unlike fine wine, does not get improved with age. Uh, you can't choose any sooner <laughs> than now to do the right thing. And the longer you wait, uh, the more difficult it's going to be. Um, I think we ought to really take into consideration that renowned sage of America, Barney Fife, who said, nip it in the bud. Nip it in the bud. All the good works in the world will not balance out tolerating sin. It won't happen. Sin does not go away except for repentance. It's the only way it happens. Only way. And Jesus allows for repentance. If we go toward the last of the passage, we find that uh, uh, he promises... um, the morning star. Think about the morning star. What does that suggest to you? I'll give you the morning star. Yeah, it's a new day, isn't it? It's the first sign of dawn. The morning star. And so when, when you look toward the morning star, it, this, is, this is such a positive thing. We sang, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Yet they're new every morning. New every morning. And, and you know, you, you wouldn't think that comes from lamentations, would you? I mean, lamentations... Come on, that's, that's Jeremiah's crying over the, the, the carrying away of, of, of the people of Israel into Babylon, you know? And he's mourning, he's lamenting, and yet in the midst of that, there's hope. There's always hope. The morning star. He said, I'll, I'll give you. I'll give you the morning star. And, and, and I, uh, I want to I end on a, that positive note. Uh, you know, you, you, you may look and you say, wow, I've, I think I've tolerated sin in myself. I think I've tolerated sin in, in others around me. And, gee, that doesn't feel good. And it doesn't. And, and, and yet, he says, I'll give you the morning star. He says, look up. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. And, and when we decide uh, to, to make it first priority to love people and not to tolerate them. Uh, it's a new beginning for us. It's a new beginning. And God is still in the miracle working business. And it doesn't matter how much sin people get into, uh, God is able to pull them out. God is able to do the miraculous. And he, and he will do that as you trust him for it. That's right. It's 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 a worldly value. Yeah. The, 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 the worldly value says, oh, you're hating these people because you're you're calling them on their sin. Uh, no, that's love. That's love. Hating someone is is allowing them to run out in front of a, a of a, a, a locomotive. That's where they're heading. They're going to the locomotive. Love reaches out and grabs them. 
and 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 pulls them back and say, "Don't you know that's a train? You can't run out from a train, you know." But that's what they're doing. Yeah, and that doesn't mean we hate people who have had an abortion. That simply means that we we're calling it what it is, uh, and and you know uh, it, it's uh, it, it and it happens a little at a time. A little at a time. Of course, you've, you've all heard about the frog in the water. And he's swimming around the water, and you turn the fire up, and it starts to get hot. And he just is enjoying his bath. But all of a sudden, it starts to boil. Frog dies. A little bit at a time. And, and this is our society. Uh, the... There are so many places we can go with this. Uh, when, when you talk about systematic desensitization, you talk about the, the, the video games people play. And, and they, the, the video games started out as, as, uh, as, as targets, and, and, and you, just, you, you, know, you, you just gobbled up the targets. And then, and then it become aggressors. And, and you're killing the aggressors because they're trying to hurt you. And then it became, oh, we're just killing for the fun of it, you know. These people aren't aggressors. We're just killing. And, and then we wonder how people can get to the point where they, they just shoot people for the fun of it. Systematic desensitization. Uh, and, and yet many, many, many people in our society say, ah, you're just you're just an alarmist, you know. That's not none of that happens. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. And and uh, uh, the church, we have tolerated it for a long time, and now our kids are playing those games and shooting people just because they can, with no morality. Involved, and uh, that's scary. It's scary, but God is good, and He is able <laughs> to do more than we can ever imagine. Let's pray. Jesus, it's a hard subject we've dealt with tonight. It's difficult, Lord. Lord, I pray that you'll help me to to get the beam out of my eye so that I can see clearly. Lord, I pray that you'll help me to make the right decisions so that when, when I see someone going the wrong direction, that you'll help me know how and when and where and in what way to help them, to love them. Lord, I just pray for all of us I pray that we'll make a difference in our world, that we'll be obedient to you, both personally and, and corporately. And we give you thanks because we know that you love unconditionally and totally, and that your love supersedes uh, any of the worldly love that's around. Help us to know the right thing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.